Hello, brothers and sisters. My name is Vicar Derek Kabilis, and I have a sermon for you today. Today's sermon was preached on July 28th, 2019, at the United Methodist Church in Uniontown. And there are actually two passages that go along with today's sermon. The first one is Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15, which I will read for you now. Is therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. <clears throat> See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority." In him you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumph over, triumphing over them in it. Our second passage is from the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> he was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial and he said to them suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him friend lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and i have nothing to set before him and he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up and get, give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Today's sermon is called Debt Passes, or Why I Think School Prayer is a Bad Idea. I hope you enjoy. Title, Debt Passes or why I don't think school prayer is a good idea. Calm down, it won't be that bad. <laughs> Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, you are our rock into our Redeemer. Amen. I am convinced that there are two types of people in this world. There are those who say, forgive us our trespasses, and then there are heretics. <laughs> nah. But you know what it is that I'm talking about, right? If you've ever been to an unfamiliar church. When I was a kid, I had a friend who, who spent the night with me. And, and he came to us with us to church the next morning. And when it was time to say the Lord's Prayer, he started to say, forgive us our debts. And then realized that everyone else was still talking. But I guess he couldn't quite make out what, what we were all saying, because when the next line came around, he ended up saying, forgive us our debt passes. <laughs> and after church, I asked him, what is a debt pass? He said, I don't know. I was going to ask you. <laughs> Little did I know, after I graduated from college, I'd be praying for a debt pass for the rest of my life. Actually, I, 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 I don't think it is such a big deal that we have different ways of praying the Lord's Prayer. After all, even in the Gospels themselves, there were radically different versions of the prayer. The one we heard today in Luke is, is obviously much shorter than the one in Matthew. Luke leaves out, who art in heaven and on earth as it is in heaven and deliver us from evil. The, the line, give us today our daily bread, is, is most literally translated as give us today our bread for tomorrow. 
But somehow we screwed that all up. And, and, and the reason, the only reason we even say the last line at all is because someone copying down a manuscript in the 4th or 5th century decided to add it to Matthew's text. Catholics don't, don't say that line at all. There was one time when I was helping preside over a joint service in a, a Catholic church and when the priest heard me going on to say, for thine is the kingdom and the power, he waved his arms and went, stop! <laughs> I'm like, wow, is it really that big of a deal? <laughs> but obviously the biggest controversy is the one over the words debts or trespasses or some people even say sins. In Matthew, Jesus most literally says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Luke changes the first word, but he doesn't change the second one. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. So where does the word trespass come from at all? Well, I'm glad you asked. We say trespasses because, of course, the Methodist Church came out of the Church of England, right? And when the Church of England started, their first arch archbishop, a man named Thomas Cranmer, compiled a standard collection of prayers that, that every church in the country had to use called the Book of Common Prayer. And in it, he standardized the use of of the word trespasses. Well, why did he do that? That's another good question. You see, back then, as it is still today, the supreme head of the Church of England was the reigning British monarch. Today, it's Queen Elizabeth II, right? Well, back then, in, in 1552, it was Queen Elizabeth I. And back then, the largest creditor in the whole world was the British crown. Tell me, if your boss holds the title to more debt than anyone else in the whole wide world, how do you think she would feel about you publishing a prayer that said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How do you think she would feel if she knew that every time anyone prayed the Lord's Prayer, the most common prayer in all of Christendom, whether it be on their bed at night or in church on Sunday morning, if every time, they prayed that prayer. They were reminded that Christianity has the, the forgiveness of a debt at the very heart of its belief about God. If she, if, if she allowed her people to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Every day, week in and week out, what might happen to her power? 
What might happen to her legitimacy as, as a debt holder in that country? What would happen to her government or to her society if the forgiveness of debt was front and center every time the British people got on their knees to pray? But vicar, didn't the queen know that, that, that Jesus didn't mean actual debts, but, but spiritual debts? Not, not financial debts, but, but debts of the heart. Well, that's another, well, actually, that's not such a good question. <laughs> because what I'm wondering is whether Jesus really did mean spiritual debts, or if we only think he meant spiritual debts. Because we've been praying trespasses for the last 500 years. Now I'm wondering if we only think he meant spiritual debts because our religion has been mediated and filtered down to us by those who are in power, by those who hold certain debts over the population. Now I'm wondering what else we tone down or thin out or translate just a little bit differently because it makes those who are in power feel insecure. I'm wondering what else Jesus has said that has been watered down for the sake of making it more compatible with our collective national and political ideology. When he said you have to turn the other cheek, sure he wasn't talking about terrorists, right? Or when he said you have to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, certainly he didn't have ISIS in mind, did he? When he said you have to love your neighbor as you love yourself, certainly he didn't make mean that refugee that wants to set up their tent on my front lawn. Do you see what I'm getting at here? See to it that no one takes you captive through vain philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, writes St. Paul. Vain philosophy. You see, he ain't talking about Plato or Aristotle. He's talking about the philosophy of nations, the, the logic of power, the ideology that, that makes the world go round. He's, he's, he's cautioning the, the Colossians against getting trapped by, by the thought patterns of the empire that rules them, warning, again, warning them against thinking the way that Roman emperors think, against thinking the way that Roman citizens think, trying to get them to think as if they were citizens of the kingdom of God. He says he has 
meaning Jesus, he has disarmed the rulers and the authorities. In Greek, the words the archons and the dynamoi, the, the kings and the emperors, the presidents and the governors, the congresses and the parliaments, and, and made a public example of them, he said. Jesus has embarrassed these guys. He has humiliated them by the blood of his cross. The way that they think and act the very way that they think the world works. And I mean conservatives and liberals alike here, folks. This ain't a partisan thing. This is a Roman Empire thing. The way they think the world works has been turned on its head so that wealth and power and social standing have been exposed in replaced with the idea that true strength lies in weakness and in vulnerability, that the poor are blessed, and that the meek shall inherit the earth. That's what he's trying to get them to understand. That's how you think like a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Those are thoughts that are unmediated by the, the, the great and, and, and powerful rulers that be. Those are the kind of thoughts that aren't so compatible with the queen as the supreme head of the church. I need a drink of water. So this is why I don't think what we call school prayer is a good idea. Now, I'm not saying kids shouldn't pray in school. Kids have always prayed in school, and they always will pray in school. But I know that some Christians get really upset that teachers and principals aren't supposed to lead their students in prayer. Some folks even think that it's evidence that Christians are becoming a persecuted minority in the United States. Well, I think there are some Catholic priests in North Korean prison camps that might disagree with that sentiment, but even if it's not about persecution, a lot of folks just want to return the, the whole country, the whole society, to some sort of glorious Christian past. I, say, I see it on Facebook all the time, well-meaning Christians, faithful Jesus followers who say things like, well, if we could just get prayer back into school, we wouldn't have all this crime. We wouldn't have all this immorality. And, and, and maybe that's true. But historically speaking, we had lots of school prayer during slavery and segregation. And it didn't save us then. I'm pretty sure we had school prayer during the Civil War. And even when we, we rounded up and, and held the Japanese in concentration camps. 
Now, I'm not talking about the Constitution or arguing about the separation of church and state. The truth is, I don't know anything at all about those things. All I'm asking is, who do we want to teach our children how to pray? We've already outsourced a lot of the teaching we used to do at home in, in our church to our chronically overworked public school teachers. It used to be that parents, some of you remember this, parents used to have to, to suck it up and have that awkward conversation with their kids about the birds and the bees, right? Well, now we just let school take care of that. Oddly, the divorce rate has never been higher. It used to be that parents taught their kids how to cook and clean and, and do a little plumbing and how to balance their checkbook. School taught me how to balance my checkbook. And to be honest with you, I've done it exactly zero times in my adult life. <laughs> Look, I think public school teachers are great and patient and, and, and criminally underpaid, but prayer is my job. Prayer is your job. Prayer is not their job. They are there to teach the kids how to be citizens of the United States of America, and we are here to teach them how to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And today, just as it was in Elizabethan England, those are two very, very different lessons. I'm thankful that I learned how to pray next to my mom and dad in church and on my knees beside my bed. My sister taught me the Lord's Prayer in the middle of the night when we were both awake past our bedtime. Mrs. Cavuzzo taught my Sunday school class how to pray for both the bullies and the kids they picked on. Reverend Stephanie Lee taught me how to repent of my latent racism. And my wife still teaches me how to pray against my arrogance and my stubbornness. You see, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, they were asking for something very radical. At the time, the, the Jews of the first century mostly prayed certain prescribed prayers, one in the morning and one at meals, and, and one at night, and then a special one on the Sabbath. They pay, play, prayed certain psalms on certain holidays and in other psalms when someone was born or when they died, and that was what prayer was. Mostly prayers were dictated by the time, by the day, or by the event. Jesus gave them not just a new prayer to pray, but a new way to pray. 
a new mindset to their prayers, a, a new kind of relationship with their God. In the, in the, the gospel passage, they, they um, translate it as persistence. That don't you know because of his persistence, the man will give, her him, give him whatever he wants. The, the word is actually not persistence at all. The word is shamelessness. That, that the one who prays is like one who gets up in the middle of the night and starts knocking on his neighbor's door for a cup of sugar. That's shameless. That's, that's acting in an implied intimacy that wasn't there before. When Jesus said, Our Father, Jesus taught them to pray as one who speaks to a parent with transparency and vulnerability. When he said, thy kingdom come, Jesus acknowledged that neither Rome nor Israel was the embodiment of God's kingdom, but that that kingdom could only be received and not enforced. And when Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Jesus taught his disciples that the same way that God loves each of us is how we are called to love one another. That way of loving one another, that way of understanding the world, that way of prayer is not something that, that can be taught by a queen or a, a parliament or a president or a congress or even a public school. It can only be taught by the very special gift of a Holy Spirit. Several years ago, I was called upon to bring communion to a 102-year-old woman with advanced dementia who hadn't spoken or communicated at all for five years. And, and to be honest, I felt awkward as I performed the great thanksgiving to someone, for someone who I know, uh, who I knew couldn't say the responses back and who might not have understood what I was doing at all. But after I broke the bread, I closed my eyes and said, now with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. And I heard the faintest whisper. I looked up, and her son was weeping. And I said, wait, did she just say something? And through his tears, he said that she was praying the Lord's Prayer with me in her native Russian tongue. Now, a cynical person might say something about how that that little service tapped into something inside her brain that we simply found a, a few 
clumps of neurons that hadn't yet been rotted away by her dementia. And they may be right, but I don't think the brain had anything to do with it at all. See, that particular woman was raised in the Soviet Union, a country that was literally ruled by atheism, where there was no prayer in schools, let alone arguments about church and state, and there was never any question about the fact that Christianity was incompatible with the rulers and the authorities. Yet even in that context, amidst that culture, It was there that those words weren't just memorized. She didn't have any memory left, but they were written on her heart. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our second hymn this morning is number 437, This Is My Song. Please stand if you are able. Well, there you have it, folks. School prayer. You know, it's one of those things that has been treated like an issue in the church with people talking about it and making reference to the Constitution or the Founding Fathers, all of that stuff. But I don't know. When I think about it, I think about what prayer is, what it's for, how we teach our children how to do it as Christ taught us. Hope that sermon blessed you today. And now may the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.